From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is away this week. We're glad you've joined us as we open the Bible and study God's Word. Now, here's this week's Crosswalk message. wonderful to be here today, and I'll be honest with you, I'd much rather hear Clay preach than have me uh, up here, but I'm very glad and grateful to our pastor for giving me this opportunity to share God's Word with you uh, today. Um, As anybody knows who's been a preacher or aspires to be a preacher, to stand in the pulpit is a great, but it's an awesome honor and uh, a heavy burden which we have to uh, discharge. It's... uh, Good to be in front of you again. Um, If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4, and uh, I'll be reading from there. Let's just have a look. All right. A couple of verses that uh, just God has impressed upon my heart. Verses 12 and 13. Would you stand and let's read this text together. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, verses 12 and uh, 13. It doesn't matter what version you have, uh, you have in front of you. Okay, are you ready? Verse 12. I know both how to be abased. Oh, hang on, you're not getting this. I'll read it. You, that's not, I'm reading from my size 16 leather-bound, gold-trimmed, indexed King James Thompson's chain reference Bible. Blessed by God. The Bible that Jesus used. Okay. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In the NIV, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. Now remember, he's writing this letter from a prison in Rome. He had the death sentence over him. It was only a matter of time before he was going to be killed. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. I don't like being a preacher who says, here are five keys to success or six things that are secrets. But Paul claims it's a secret. And he learned the secret that he's going to share with us today. I learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Please be seated. Over uh, Over the last couple of weeks, I have uncovered a massive fraud which I believe has affected every person in our church. It's crazy huge, and it's really awful, and it has to do with being content. I want to be honest with you, it's caught me, and I feel like I've been robbed and left for dead by a 21st century imposter. Because I think contentment evades most Christians because of the influence of a secular worldview, 
We look out there and we see what the world thinks contentment is, and that's the standard by which we measure our contentment. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. As I look over our congregation today, I think every single one of us, including me, has issues with contentment. Here's the problem. We think we are content because of the world standard. And we judge ourselves according to that. But my friend, God weighs our lives according to His standard and points us in the direction of true contentment. And true contentment is not stuff. True contentment is Jesus, a risen Savior who died for our sin. It's a person. It's a relationship with God. His definition, Paul's definition of contentment is 180 degrees, a complete turnaround from the world. And for the next two weeks, God willing, and if Jesus tarries, I'm going to ask you just to walk with me on this journey to discover the secret. The verse, Philippians chapter 4, 12 and 13, is huge in getting our lives back on track when it comes to godly contentment. It's a learned behavior, but it's also a secret. It's a secret that involves changing our focus, coming before God in brokenness and repenting of our sin and asking Him to forgive us and walk with us in what the Bible describes as a spirit-filled life. And so this week, I want to speak about Contentment with the circumstance, or no, contentment with the circumference of your life. Are you content with all that your life consists of right now? That is, are you content with your kids? Teenagers! Woo! Are you content with your wife, husband, your financial situation, your health, your job, and all the other stuff that makes up the circumference of your life? Are you content with that? Jesus says you ought to be if He is the Lord and Savior and ruler of your life. If you have truly truly repented of your sin, invited Him into your heart to be your King and Master and Commander and Savior, then no matter what life throws at you, Jesus is the source of my contentment. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then next week, we're going to speak about not the circumference of our lives, but we're going to speak about the center. Jesus Be the center of my life. Be the very core. Be my reference point. One of the famous theologians says that God must be the very ground of my being. He must be the essence of everything that I know and love and have. He must be my all in all. We sing about that. But I think we know that we tell more lies when we sing than any other time in our lives. Ain't that true, folks? Christ must be my all. He must be everything. We'll get to that next week. I'm already getting wound up for then. So content with the circumference of your life. Let me explain about circumference. 
The circumference of your life, as you're sitting here today, consists of all that you have, all that you own, all that you are. The totality of who you are as a person. I guess you could call it your footprint in this world. Are you content with that? Are you content with the circumference? You may own a home valued at $300,000, a car worth $5,000, a cat worth nothing, a border collie worth thousands. Don't forget your husband, an odd child or two. You have an undergrad degree, a good job, pretty good at golf or whatever. Folks, this is how you sum up the circumference of your life, your footprint. It's your value in terms of what the average person and the world understands. But I want to make it very clear today that God is not glorified by what you have, but God is glorified by who has you. Who has you? Your car, your career, your house. All the stuff that you own, who has you? Who owns you? Let me wrap it up in a sentence made popular by one of my favorite theologians, John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified when we say, Lord, my finances, they stink. My health isn't so good. There's a lot going on in my life that I'm unsure about. But my satisfaction, my joy, my everything is Jesus. Whether I'm rich or poor, whether I'm whether I, in whatever situation or condition I find myself, I glory in the risen Christ. When the objects of our contentment are found in the circumference of, lives, of our lives, There are just too many balls to juggle. You can't do it, folks. You can't do it. Job, home, TV, kids, career, bank account, health, my next vacation, church. It's just too much. We're being pushed and and thrown around. We're like that. I don't know about you guys, but in my day, it was the, um, ever since I was a young boy, I played the silver ball. From Soho down to Brighton, I must have played them all. Pinball, man, pinball. It's like a pinball. You're being thrown around by this and that and the next thing. And that you can see in the world. They don't have contentment. They don't have satisfaction. And they look to us. And we ain't got it either. And it's the truth. Too many balls to juggle. And God is saying no. I and I alone want to be your satisfaction. That brings me the most glory and honor. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6. He says this. He says to this young pastor, he says, Timothy, godliness. Hey, listen, godliness on its own. That's great. To be a godly, wouldn't you like to be known as a godly or a God-fearing person? To be godly on its own. But he says, no, there's more. He says, godliness with contentment. He's writing to a church that is scattered, persecuted, torn apart. Early Christians were sewn up in animal skins and set loose in the arena in the Circus Maximus so that wild packs of dogs could attack them and devour them. 
They were dipped in tar and set alight to provide illumination for Nero's parties. I'm content with that. I'm happy because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Folks, if Jesus is not your contentment, you've got none of it. It sounds to me that when Paul says godliness with contentment, that's the black writing in our Bibles. But in the white space, Paul is saying, not everybody has this. Here's my, my prayer for you. Godliness and contentment. Man, that's the bomb. That's the bomb, man. That's the real deal. As you think about the circumstances of your life, I can guarantee that something right now is robbing you of contentment. Finances, family, health, relationships, church, job, whatever it is. Something is wrong here. Too much stuff, too many balls to juggle. The Bible has been trying to point the way to biblical contentment for 2,000 years. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Hey, Jesus said that. Do not worry about your life. What you eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he gives this great illustration that everybody in his day could relate to. He says, listen, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in heaven. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And you know what? You are much more valuable than they. And so here's an important truth. You've got to get this. The Scriptures address the things that are found in the circumference of your life with the purpose of putting them in the right priority for your personal spiritual contentment. Get your focus off the stuff and focus it on Jesus. Let me give you an example. Many people have issues with money. Linda and I have issues with money. She has it. I don't have any of it. One of the major problems, I'm going to just say it like it is today. One of the major problems with Christians today is their need to break free from debt. I'm telling you it is. To break free from debt. Personal debt is something that rears its ugly head in the circumference of your life. Most of you know that I'm in real estate as my retirement job. And in real estate, people are pushed by realtors into buying homes that are just too much money. We have a phrase for it. It's called being house poor. You've got a great house, but man, you can't put your kids through college. Or you'll struggle to do it. When someone gets sick, it's a disaster. They take out a huge mortgage and they spend their lives paying it off. Let me tell you about mortgage. Okay? This is an area of my expertise. Do you know where the word mortgage comes from? It comes from two Latin words, mort and gage. Mort is the word in Latin for death. And gage is the word for grip. Oh yes, banks have a death grip on you, my friend. Until you pay that off, they have a death grip on you. 
I wish I saw more people say, coming to me and saying as a realtor, Hey, Steve, I want to buy a smaller house. I want to live within my means. I want to live debt-free. I want to live without this huge bank having a, having a death grip on my life for the next 30 years. That's almost a lifetime. You can't have contentment and have all that. And I know that in Financial Peace University, he says it's okay to have a mortgage. But he also has as one of his baby steps, get rid of it. I think it's step six or something like that. Get rid of that mortgage. You see, Paul is saying to the people here, in the circumference of your life, why would you allow these things to have a death grip on you? Your future and your contentment. It's pretty much impossible to live without a mortgage today. But you've got to learn to live like Christians have been teaching for 2,000 years. We have got to learn to live simply. Just simply, whatever that means for you. And to be content with what we have. Because I keep saying to myself, how much is enough? How much is enough? When Jesus died, the disciples didn't clean out his bank account and cash in his 401k. All he had was a robe. And they cast lots for that. And so here's the solution for contentment when it comes to money. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content With what you have. Why? Because here's the focus again. Because I have said, never will I leave you or forsake you. Why? Because in the life of the Spirit-filled, God-honoring, Christ-glorifying Christian, money is a problem that needs to be fixed. And it can only be fixed by Jesus. It can only be fixed by Jesus. And so with a little or a lot... We need to learn to live simply. The secret that we have to learn is Jesus' presence. Never will I leave you or forsake you. Never will I leave you. That's His presence. That means more to me for contentment than all the other stuff. Because when it comes to money and health and all that stuff, I'll never have enough. Can you ever have too much health? I guess not. And so how? How do I How do I make Jesus? How do I get the victory over this? Here's four things that I want to share with you. Firstly, people, my brothers and sisters and my friends that I've invited here today, establish a reasonable standard of living. Everybody else may be going to Venezuela. No, hang on, nobody's going there right now, are they? Everybody else might be going to some fancy place for a holiday. Be content to go to the beach, the closest one. Why must you live above your means? Establish a reasonable stand of living. Secondly, establish a habit of giving. Of giving. That's what we were called to do. We are called like our Savior was, to give. Thirdly, develop a heart of thanksgiving. And fourthly, seek God's will and God's presence in everything. And if God is not in it, cut it out. In a letter written from a Roman prison cell to his friend at Philippi in Philippians 3.8, listen to what Paul says. More than that, 
I count all things as loss. This is one of the coolest Greek words. I should ask our resident theologians here to tell me the Greek word for loss found in, in Philippians 3.8. Come on, all you guys have been to college. Mm-hmm. It's the Greek word skubala. You're never going to forget it. You never, no, no, I'm, I mean it. Because it means poop. Yeah, it me. I'm sorry, there is no nice way to say it. It means poop. No, I'm not going to say it again. Okay. It does, I count it. Everything as poop compared to knowing Jesus. It means nothing. That stuff means nothing. I don't take it with me. It should count for nothing in my life. Whether I am full or hungry, whether I am healthy or or not, whether I'm rich or poor, that's rubbish. It's skubala. Say it with me. Skubala. Say it again. Skubala. Now, let me tell you, you got to work tomorrow. Find a Greek friend. Okay, okay, call me afterwards from hospital and say to him, hey, listen, Aristotle, what you just did is skubala. Okay, it's rubbish. And that's, he's trying to say it in the most powerful way he can, in the circumference of your life. Everything else is skubala, because Jesus must be the source of everything, the goal of everything. If he's not, we got problems. we got issues now. Listen, for the contented Christian with a world full of stuff, Christ is still everything. And I know that there are many people that, that this is the case. They understand these priorities. They understand the circumference of their lives. This is what God has blessed me with. And I use it because I'm a steward. I'm not an owner of everything. I am a steward of everything. I keep my stuff in good condition. I look after it. I loan it out. Sometimes I don't get the stuff back that I loan. Well, I guess that's just okay. Because Christ is my focus. I, contentment is in Him. Don't let the circumference of your life crowd out Jesus. And so what I did, because I love to do this as part of my, my message, I had a look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, particularly in the original languages, um, where contentment was found. And I found something very interesting. There's no real word in uh, Hebrew for contentment. There there are inferences about it, being satisfied, or I am willing to consent to that, or it seemed good in their eyes. There was no objective standard, what really is contentment. No absolute clear understanding of what it was. And as I thought about this, I thought to myself, you know, the reason is, That in the Old Testament, people lived with anticipation. They lived in anticipation of something better, something that is not of this world. And folks, the circumference of our lives is of this world now, but it's not forever. Because there is a new world. There's a new heaven, a new body, no money, no food, no tears. Man, talk about contentment. (sighs) And so in the Old Testament, they looked and thought and prayed and sang about the sense of anticipation of someone who is to come. God, in the words of Rudolf Otto, 
God is der ganz andere. He is holy other. He is someone who is going to come and sort out this mess. 2,000 years later, the mess is still not sorted out. Oh, we have a way to God. Thank God for that through the cross. It gets our hearts right, our souls right with God. But many of us are living in this malcontent or discontented life. As I looked in the Old Testament, I found two verses that kind of alluded to contentment. And I guess that there are going to be many more than this. Psalm, uh, Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Now, don't you all go say to me now, hey, I'll, I'll risk the trouble. I'll risk it. Man, I'll risk it. I'll, I'll, give me the treasure and I'll risk the trouble. Don't do it. Better is little with the fear of the Lord. We need to learn to live simply within our means. To be downscaling and living a simple life. Why? Because it enables us to give more. And the nature of Christianity of faith, I know it's the nature of Jesus. God is a giving God. To tell God to stop giving hmm, would be like to say to Uranium 232, stop radiating. Oh, stop now in the name of Jesus. No, it ain't going to happen. To say to God to stop giving, it ain't going to happen. He is a giving God. And we should, as his disciples, be giving disciples. You can't do that. If there's discontent in your finance and discontent in all the other areas of your life. <laughs> Job chapter 10 verse 1 kind of puts it in perspective. I'm disgusted with living. Hey, you know, I wonder how many people have said that. Maybe even saying that right now. I'm disgusted with living. I'm going to talk about my complaint freely. That's one thing about unhappy people. Man, they talk about it freely. I will speak about the bitterness, I think it says of any soul, but I think it means um, of my soul. I'm going to speak about the bitterness of my soul. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that stuff. I guess it's a great biblical example of what not to do when you are discontent. But the New Testament, man, when you open the pages of Matthew, a whole different ball game. The New Testament is different. It's the age of Jesus and the Spirit. The focus of contentment shifts from circum circumference to the center. And we're going to talk about that next week. The Greek word for, for contentment. Who's the Greek scholar here now? Not you yet. Okay. Here's a cool word. You've already learned the Hebrew word for, for uh, that's rubbish. What's the Hebrew word? Skubala. Man, you've forgotten. Skubala. That's rubbish, man. It's skubala. It's poop. The Greek word for contentment is autarkeia. And the word autarkeia is really a fascinating word. It means to raise a barrier. I am putting a barrier up in my life that I will not let. I will not allow in the name of Jesus the stuff in this world to get to my heart and my mind. I will not allow it. I am content. I have raised a barrier in my life. Ought archaea. 
It means to be sufficient for the task. Hey, listen, can somebody come and uh, rebore my engine and grind my crank? I'm too cranky, Linda says. That was a very deep joke there. Man, I don't have the, the, the knowledge to do that. But ask my son David to do it. He'll know exactly what to do. He is up to the task, to be sufficient for the task, to be up to the job, to have an attitude that says, I can do this. Why? Because in Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do. Ha <laughs> ha, you're getting it. You're getting it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm up to the job. Why? Because my focus has changed. My contentment, wait, my contentment is now God. And so what's the barrier that I raise in the face of the worldview that says, get more, get more, get more, get more. What's the barrier that I raise in the face of that? Jesus is the barrier. I raise up my champion and I say, Lord, stand between me and this worldview that says it's all about me. Like the poem Invictus, I am the master of my own destiny, the captain of my ship. What a lot of scubala. It's rubbish. I am not the captain. I am not the one who decides my destiny. It's decided by a sovereign God before the foundation of the world. It's done and dusted and settled. I was saved and saved forever. Don't give me this junk theology that you lose your salvation. That would cause me to be so discontent. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I, saved? I am saved. Because I put my faith and trust in the completed work of Christ on the cross. Don't mess with that contentment, man. And so being, uh, being a biblical believer is understanding that contentment is being satisfied with God. Listen, Jesus is not going to die again on the cross. He has done the best that He is going to do. It's full and final salvation. He has now raised a barrier. You choose if you're going to stand behind that barrier. And when the world comes to you, and some fancy realtor says to me, man, you've got to have this house. This is just perfect for you. Boy, am I shooting myself in the foot here. You've got to have this. this. I mean, it's got your name all over it. I feel like God is saying to me, you need this. Yep, man, you want to hear some junk stuff? You raise your barrier and you say, I raise my barrier, Jesus, in the face of this. And I am content with what I have. In fact, I'm considering downsizing. So I can live that simple life. It's a learned behavior. It is a secret. It's not circumstantial. I know some of you have gone through the most awful, awful, awful experiences this week. Some of you have. I want to ask you, is God still your contentment? Some of you are going to face terrible news. You might go to a doctor. Something tragic might happen. Uh, something that awful, maybe an accident. I don't know what. But is God still your contentment? Then you understand it. Then it's a secret that God has revealed to you because not everyone gets that. It's a state of being. Contentment is a relationship. It's not getting or doing. 
Contentment is the passcode to the riches of God in Christ Jesus. Many churches preach, you can get more. You can get more. And folks, I'm going to be honest, they mean more stuff. They do mean that. I'm preaching, you can get less to have more of Him. My circumference is already full. I don't want more. I want less so that I can have more of Jesus. And so I, I'm coming now. I'm nearly finished. You can see on my notes. Hang on, hang on. Show you the notes. I'm, I'm like here. I'm only going to go there. I can, I can make that go for about 20 minutes though. Okay, so, so here it is. This is Linda's favorite part is when I, when I wind up. <laughs> okay. She always says to me, Steve, you know, that was okay, but so what? Isn't that a good thing to ask every, every Sunday? We should all go to Clay afterwards. Let's all do this and not tell him. And we all go to him and say, so what? Here's the so what. So what? Contentment, the circumference of my life. And you know what? We've got a bunch of teenagers here already. Man, they've already got their eyes cast on the iPhone 6i or 7. or, or They've got they, I mean, all those iPads and stuff like that. And they, uh, they all love that stuff, man. Because they're being taught. All their buddies have it. All their friends have it. And all this other stuff and gear that they've got to they have. They've got to have. Let me link you to six important so what's. Number one, give thanks in all things. Ephesians 5.20 says, always give thanks for all things. Hey, Lord, we're struggling here financially now, and, and I keep going back to this finance stuff. I'm going to stop there. It's not just about finances, you know, but it's a major thing. You know, we're struggling in this. We'd, we'd really like to get that new 150-inch uh, flat-screen LCD TV because I'd be a better person if I could see that. And you know I'm struggling with, your eye, with my eyes. I tried that. It worked with the Harley Davidson, I might add. Yeah, look what happened to that. Give thanks in all things, even for the small bit you have. Even for the little that God blesses you with. Give thanks to God because He saved you. You were chosen and elect in Him before the foundation of the world. Give thanks for that. Secondly, rest in God's providence, because what you have is the result of God providing it for you. It's what he can trust you with. Now, if you've got your, your grubby little hands on, on money and you've decided that you're going to splurge and buy yourself a Maserati, I've got nothing for you. I've got nothing for you. But I want to tell you what, if you realize that everything that you have is the result of God's providence. That's a major step forward for contentment. Thirdly, sorry to say this. No, I'm not sorry. Be satisfied with little. Be satisfied with little. So what if the other people in your class or the other people in your job or the other people in your whatever have something better? I went uh, fly fishing with Caleb. Uh, last week, and I actually swam in the Pigeon River, Tennessee. Why? Because I fell in <laughs> three times. Okay? Uh, it was not a satisfying experience. Okay? Because in the course of that, it cost me $600 for a new iPhone because my iPhone was stupidly in my waders. Which waders we had, by the way? 
both Caleb and I are selling them cheap because we got the wrong waiters for where we were. Okay, we caught nothing, and uh, I also lost my glasses, but they were the one dollar uh, dollar general glasses. I didn't want to worry about that. But you know what? I got, I, I got the new iPhone seven. Woo wee! Heck, out of necessity, I need a phone, man. And that's the only one I had to pay for the other stupid thing out of money I didn't have, but I had to get it. That phone means absolutely nothing to me. Although I am selling a slightly damaged iPhone six. If you. <laughs> Be satisfied with little. Be, you know, I'm getting all kinds of side, side things. Be satisfied with little. Thirdly, hang on, I'm on four here. Oh. Live above your circumstances, but within your circumference. How are you doing? Well, I'm well under the circumstances. No! Live above your circumstances. Your circumstances mean diddly squat. They mean nothing. It's just what's going on. You live above that because God has raised the barrier. He's put himself between you. Satan cannot get to you but through Jesus. He's the barrier. Live above your circumstances, but within your circumference. Fifthly, rely on God as the source of power and provision. When you have prayed about something, and I know we are, we are called in the Scriptures to keep on praying, keep on bothering God, and I'm okay with that. But you know, when you've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, and praying, and praying for a new car, and you ain't got it, rejoice in the car you've got. I mean, if you're praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying about stuff, stop it and make your prayers more meaningful and raise that barrier. Sixthly, this is hard to do. Be preoccupied with the well-being of others. That's what the Bible says that we are as a church. We should care for one another. We should bear one. We have to bear our own burden, but we also have to care for one another and carry one another's burdens. We should have ears that are always attentive to. And I know, as a church, we do this. And I thank God for this. I have been the recipient in times when it was tough for Linda and I. People in the church here have blessed us. In churches that I've pastored, have blessed us. Somebody gave us a car. For goodness sake, somebody gave us a car. My car broke down. The next day, there was a car in my driveway. It just said, it's yours. I mean, it wasn't a brand new car, but it was God's car. Be preoccupied with the well-being of others. Listen, support one another, care about one another. But in your own personal life, raise that ought that raise that barrier. And you've got to say, Jesus... Be the barrier between me and disaster. Me and the world's view of getting it all and keeping it all. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 says this. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. That's quite a task. I'm not up to that. In my own strength, looking, I have enough of a job looking after me. And I got Linda's help with that. And my family, thank God. What about people who don't have a family like that? What about people who say, this is the only family I've got? 
I'm wondering today about contentment. Contentment in the circumstances, the circumference of my life. How are you doing with that? My focus is on this and it's on that. It's on the next thing. It's on getting and it's, on, and it's always hedonistic in, in, in pleasure. How about being a Christian hedonist? How about God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him? My satisfaction is blessing my Savior. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want you to the cross. I want you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.